You're listening to Amazing Discoveries Audio. This is Diet of Perfection with Christopher Hudson. Hi, my name is Brother Christopher Hudson, and once again, I'm so happy that you're here with us for this special Amazing Discoveries presentation. Now, before we open the Bible together, as it has been my tradition, I want to invite you to have a word of prayer with me. Because without the Spirit of God, none of the teachings of the Word of God can truly be clear to our understanding. So let's invite the presence of God to be our instructor. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the awesome privilege that you have given us to study our Word. I ask now in a very special way that you would be with us that you would send your holy angels from the courts of heaven to minister to our minds, that our darkened human intellects might be expanded by the divine principles contained within the scriptures. Please, as you have promised here to have asked for nothing in my name, ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. I simply pray in the name of Jesus that you would bless everyone under the hearing of my voice, that their lives would forever be changed. And even now, bring back to my remembrance those things which you have shared with me, that I might simply be a conduit through which you might make manifest your glory. Thank you for hearing this prayer, Father. For all these things we ask in Jesus' name, and for thy name's sake, amen. All right, I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles, and we're going to go to the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms, and we're going to begin at chapter 131, or Psalm, the 131st division. Psalm 131, and I'm going to be looking right now with you at verse 2. The Bible tells us there in Psalm 131, looking at the second verse, Surely I've behaved and quieted myself as a child weaned of his mother, my soul is even as a weaned child. That word behaved in the original language from whence it was translated, it means that he has gained self-possession. One that has self-possession is an individual that has self-control. What David is speaking of here is a state of maturity that he's obtained to in his Christian experience. He's come to a point where he's now gaining the mastery over his flesh. He's no longer being driven by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. He's developed to a point of maturity that now he has self-possession. And that self-possession, by the grace of God, is almost so complete, the Bible says that he has quieted itself. In other words, the inclinations of the flesh are being silenced. And he refers it to a child that has been weaned from its mother. A child that is now mature enough that has grown to the state where they can now stand for themselves. He said, my soul is even as a weaned child. I believe that's the experience that all of us should be seeking after. That's the experience that I desire for myself on a day-by-day basis. But how does one obtain to that experience? Well, I have to think about this. Before a child is weaned from the mother, before the child is in a position where they can now begin to feed themselves for themselves and begin to uh, eat solid foods, we know that during the nursing process, the mother has to give that child that sustenance that is ordained by heaven for that child's development. And if you don't know what sustenance I'm talking about, I'm talking about milk. See, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, chapter 28, Isaiah, the 28th chapter. And I want you to look there with me in your Bibles because I really believe you need to look at this message with your eyes. Isaiah, chapter 28, look at verse 9. Who shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. So those that are weaned from the milk, those that are drawn from the breast, they are now in a position where God can teach them knowledge 
and cause them to understand doctrine. But prior to that development, they need the milk. They need to be in their mother's bosom to receive that nursing. Now, of course, I'm talking about spiritual things. So what is that spiritual milk that God would have us to be ingesting, to be taking into our systems, taking into our minds so that we can develop and gain that self-possession, that mastery over the flesh? Go with me to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, looking at the second verse, the Bible says this. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word of God that ye might grow thereby. So there are some basic principles contained within the scripture. Repentance, confession of sins, faith in God, etc., etc. Matter of fact, some of these things are spoken of in the book of Hebrews chapter 6 beginning at verse 1. I encourage you to take a look at it. There are some basic principles that are spoken of in the word of God. And in simple language, God refers to them as being the sincere milk of his word. That is what the newborn babe, the new convert, the young in the faith needs so that they can grow, so that they can develop, so that they can mature to be like their elder brother, Jesus Christ. I want you to see what else the Bible has to say about these newborn babes that need the sincere milk of the word of God. But now we're going to go to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. The Bible says this. I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with strong meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet are ye now able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there are among you envyings and strifes and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Huh. Those are some serious statements made by Paul. Those are some serious statements made by the Spirit of God. The Lord is telling us that the babe is actually still somewhat in a carnal state. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, he says, I have spoke unto you as unto those that are carnal. I couldn't speak unto you as those that are truly spiritually minded, those that are led by the Spirit of God, because you're babes in Christ. And therefore, he gave them milk and not strong meat. And he defined what it meant for them to be babes that were carnal, that needed the sincere milk of the word of God. He actually ascertained their spiritual condition that made it very clear, these are individuals that need the milk of the word of God. This is what he said. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there are among you envyings and strifes and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? My friends, do you realize if you have strife and envy and division in your home, if you have strife and envy and division in your church, it means that there's a lot of babies running around. I don't care how long a person, quote-unquote, has been in the faith. I don't care how long a person has been in the church or what position they may hold. Does it make a difference if they're an elder, a local pastor, conference secretary, conference president? It makes no difference. If they're exhibiting the characteristic traits of envy, strife, and division, it lets us know they're nothing more than grown babies that need the sincere milk of the word of God, that they might mature in the faith. I know that's a strong statement, but it's a true statement because it's in the word of God. They're carnal. You know, when I looked at this in the Bible, it disturbed my mind a little bit I hope you understand why it disturbed my mind a little bit. If you don't understand, I'll help you understand. Because the Bible said, For I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. And I said to myself, wow, how is it that one can be a babe in Christ, a babe 
in Christ and yet still be carnal? How is that possible? And as I was considering this, speaking to the Lord concerning this, praying on this, the Lord took me back in my mind to Psalm, the 131st division, and verse 2, where we began at in this presentation. Because in Psalm 131 and verse 2, the Bible says, the soul that's like a weaned child is an individual that has behaved and quieted themselves. The individual that no longer is in need of milk is the individual that has behaved and quieted themselves. That word behaved, I shared with you earlier, means one that has gained self-possession. But it also means a person that is calm. Now, I know you're all familiar with what it means to be calm. But I'm just one of those individuals. When I'm studying the Bible and I see words, I always like to think, I think I know the word, but I don't know that I know the word. And so let me see what the original language says about that word. And then let me go to the dictionary to get a little bit more understanding on that word as well. And when I went to the dictionary to find out what calm meant, after I found out that was what the Hebrew meant, I said, well, what does calm mean in the English language? Very interesting. The word calm means a state of things free of storm. <laughs> Actually, it means a state in which waters are not actively being disturbed. I said, that's interesting. I never thought that the word calm had anything to do with active, disrupted waters. But think about this. When you have waters that are being disturbed, what do you usually have? You have waves, don't you? You have waves. Go with me to the Bible. We're going to the book of James. James chapter 1. In James chapter 1, and I want you to begin with me at verse 5. James chapter 1, looking at verse 5, consider this closely with me. James, the first chapter, beginning at the first verse. That's correct. The Bible says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Do you see someone that's not calm? The Bible says, let not that man think that he shall receive anything of God. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So the double-minded individual that comes to God and asks for wisdom, don't forget that word, wisdom, that individual that is double-minded will not receive that wisdom from God. Why? Because God says their minds are like a wave of the sea driven with the winds and tossed. They're not stable. So God will not confer upon them his wisdom. Keep that in mind as we go now to the book of James chapter 3. Listen closely. James chapter 3. James chapter 3, begin with me at verse 13. The Bible says this, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. Is this beginning to sound like that carnal-minded babe in Christ in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3? If not, keep on listening. This wisdom, what wisdom? The wisdom of bitter envying and strife. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first peaceable, then gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits. My friends, the Bible declares that the double-minded man is the man that is unstable, the man that is like the waves of the sea driven with the wind and tossed, a man that is not calm, so evidently this is a man that has not quieted itself, so evidently this is a man that has not been weaned from the milk as of yet, so evidently this man is a babe in Christ that needs to learn and to mature. And the Bible says the condition of this man's mind and the characteristic traits that he exhibits because of his double-mindedness is envy, strife, 
division. The Bible says that wisdom's not from above. It's earthly. It's sensual. It's devilish. We see a lot of that in church board meetings. It says, for where this wisdom is, there's every form of confusion. And now I begin to understand why there are some poor souls that run around and say, ah, the church has apostatized. The church is Babylon. The church isn't Babylon. The church will never be Babylon. But I understand why they have this perception of things. They're gaining this perception of things because there are some individuals, unfortunately, that are within the body of Christ that are exercising this devilish, sensual wisdom. And they bring their confusion into the church. And because, unfortunately, some people that are exercising this earthly, sensual, devilish spirit in the church are in leadership positions People are looking and seeing confusion and they're saying, oh, this is Babylon. No. All this means is that a whole lot of Babylonians found their way into Jerusalem. My friends, I need to ask you a question and you need to think about this for yourself. Are you a babe in Christ? Are you double-minded? Do you follow on in the will of the Lord when it's convenient? But when something is presented, something comes into your life that is antagonistic, that is opposed to your own personal desires, does this devilish spirit begin to rise up that brings about strife, that exhibits division into the midst of your church, of your home? My friends, these things ought not be. It's a critical situation. Matter of fact, the Bible states this. Go with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, Hebrews, the fifth chapter. In Hebrews chapter 5, beginning at verse 11, this is what the apostle Paul said. Hebrews chapter 5, looking at verse 11. The Bible says this. Of whom we have many things to say. He's speaking about Jesus Christ, by the way of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. Have mercy. So there were many things that he wanted to tell them, many things that he wanted to relate to them, but they were not capable of receiving the wisdom that he wanted to impart unto them because they were dull of hearing. It's like saying that their ears were like blunt. Have you ever had a tomato, never had a tomato, I just had a tomato not too long ago, it was good, with some hummus. And, have you ever cut a tomato before? Have you ever cut a tomato with a sharp knife? If you've ever taken a sharp knife to a tomato, it's a glorious thing. You open up that tomato, you look inside, it's, it's a beautiful thing. You see all the beautiful color, you know, the seeds and their, their comp the compartments that God made inside of the tomato. It's actually, if you take the time to consider it, it's a beautiful thing. Have you ever tried to cut a tomato with a dull knife? If you try to cut a tomato with a dull knife, I assure you, within moments, you will have ketchup. Because, my friends, it just messes it all up. That's exactly what it's like when we're dull of hearing and the truth is presented to us. The most profound, sublime, heart-moving, convicting truth can come to our ears through the influence of the Spirit of God and because we're dull of hearing because of our unconverted, babe-like states at times. Our unconverted, double-minded states. The truth comes to us and gets totally perverted in translation. It's interesting because when Paul says here, I have many things to utter, of whom we have many things to utter, of whom we have many things to say rather, and hard to be uttered, seeing that ye are dull of hearing, that's actually similar language to what Jesus said to the disciples back in the book of John. We told them, have many things that I would like to tell you, 
but I can't tell you now because you're not able to bear them. And that's interesting because Jesus told the disciples many things. He told them about his second coming. He told them about the destruction of Jerusalem. He told them about the end of the world. He told them to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Jesus told the disciples many a profound truth. But there is one truth that Jesus never told the disciples that actually in the book of Hebrews, Paul, under the influence of the Spirit of God, begins to present to the church of God that they never truly had a comprehension of. Jesus never told his disciples that when he went to the courts of heaven, he was going to be their high priest. Oh, my friends, if Jesus told the disciples that he was going to be their high priest, <laughs> they would not have been able to bear that. Because, listen, they were already having to go back and forth with the Pharisees. People were saying, you know, Jesus is trying to destroy the law of Moses. That's why Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, told them, listen, I have not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. I want you to understand, I'm just trying to do that which is in harmony with my Father's will and make the truth plain to you and remove all of the human understanding and the human teaching that has been covering the light from shining forth in all of its beauty. The Pharisees, when they came to the disciples and they asked the disciples questions about their master, they tried to defend Jesus Christ and say, oh yes, our master pays taxes. Oh, oh yes, Jesus, you said something that offended the Pharisees. You know, at one point in time, the reality was the disciples did not fully fully comprehend that their master was the Messiah. But he gave them enough evidence for them to have faith enough to continue to follow. They weren't converted until that upper room experience took place in the book of Acts. So Jesus was giving them truth, but he was giving them truth that they could bear. But if he had ever told them that he was their high priest, they would have taken two steps back and said, hold on a second. Now, there have been things that have happened that have had us questioned, but now you're telling us you're going to be our high priest? The priesthood only comes from the line of the tribe of Levi. And you, Jesus, are not from the line of the tribe of Levi. They could not bear that one. My friends, there are many truths that God wants to reveal to us concerning himself. But until we are benefited by the sincere milk of the word of God, those truths will have no benefit in our lives. We won't even be able to bear them. It might cause us even to go away from the truth because we're not established enough in the truth that we already have. Back in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, Paul once again said, Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing that ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need again that one teach you, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and have become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. It is possible for us to so retrograde, to so retard, to so backslide in our Christian experience, whether we are in the church for five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, when we should be ready teachers of the gospel in word and in deed, we're still in need of milk. Can you imagine 70-year-old people, 60-year-old brothers and sisters sitting in church with baby bottles in their mouth? It's not even funny because it's the reality that we see week after week. That is the true spiritual condition of the majority of those that make up the church of God today. The very time when we should be teachers. If we have been, well, if you have been in the church 
for five years, six years, seven years, eight years, nine years, ten years, twelve years, twenty years, and you have not actively been, in, been engaged in leading one soul to Jesus, there's a problem with your spirituality. You're a babe. The Bible goes on to say in the book of Hebrews chapter 5, looking at verse 13, for everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Now there's some people patting themselves on the back and they're saying, whew, glad. Now I know that I'm not a babe because I'm not unskillful in the word of righteousness. I can teach people Daniel and Revelation. I can teach people the everlasting gospel. I understand righteousness by faith. I can teach them the fundamental principles of the Word of God. My friend, just because you may be adept, just because you may be an eloquent teacher of the Word of God, does not mean that you're mature in the faith. It doesn't mean that you're skillful in the Word of God because when the Scripture says the one that needs milk is the one that is unskillful in the word of righteousness, it actually means the one that needs milk is the person that does not possess a practical experience with the word of God. The problem is the majority of us in the church today, we have a host of theoretical knowledge stored up in our minds, and we can recall it at the drop of a dime. In a debate, no one can confound us. But when we go home, we're like the son of Satan. But you know the truth. But your children don't love you because you're not lovable. But you know the truth. But in your workplace, people don't see a Christian. But you know the truth. You're a babe. You're unskillful in the word of righteousness. The Bible says, But strong meat belongeth unto them who are full of age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, before I deal with that, let me, I need this point to really be riveted in your minds. My daughter, her name is Heaven. She's five years old now. She will, she will tell you quickly that she's going to be six this year. Three years ago, she was two, obviously. A year before that, she was one. When she was one years old, I remember, no, matter of fact, she wasn't even one, a little bit before she was one. We were sitting down at the dinner table together, and I was eating, I was eating, I was eating, some, I was eating a wholesome meal that my wife prepared for me, praise the Lord. And it was, uh, it was some quinoa. It was some quinoa and something else, I just remember the quinoa. So I was eating this quinoa, and my daughter, heaven, she begins to beg me for the quinoa. I, I literally couldn't put a fork full of that stuff in my mouth without her begging me. So I got to the point where I said, you know what, let, let, me, let me allow her to have this quinoa. Now, she, we weren't giving her solid foods, but I just said, let, let me allow her to have this quinoa. So I put the quinoa in front of her, <laughs> and she started eating. And boy, she enjoyed it. I was shocked. I had, I had a good time watching her eat the quinoa. And she ate it. She ate every last drop of it. Amen. A few hours later, it was my responsibility to do daddy duties, no pun intended. And so I was there opening up the pamper to change the pamper. And as I opened the pamper, lo and behold, what did I see? Quinoa. Whole. The same way that it went in was exactly the same way that it came out. I mean, nothing changed in its shape or form. <laughs> I hope you get the point. 
She enjoyed the taste of the quinoa. She enjoyed the, the texture of the quinoa. She smiled as she ate the quinoa, but she received absolutely no nutritional benefit from the quinoa. Why? Because she was not physically yet capable of bearing it. And that's the same way that many of us are when it comes to the Word of God. Oh, we love to hear hidden truths. We love to hear Bible prophecies. We love to hear things that angels would love to look into. And we get excited, but we're not transformed. We're just as unconverted as we were before we heard the message. But God says strong meat, that solid food, it belongs to those that are full of age. How do they become full of age? The Bible lets us know. It's by reason of use of the word of God that causes their senses to be exercised to discern both good and evil. In other words, through practical daily application of the truths that God presents to them in his word. Their senses become exercised. Their eyes, their ears, everything now becomes subject to the will of God so that as they're living in this life, when temptation comes to them or things are presented to them, they say, no, that is not good. It's not in harmony with the will of God. Yes, this is good. It's in harmony with the will of God. No, this is not something that I should listen to. This is something that I should set my eyes on. It will help me grow in the will of God. That is the experience that God is looking for us to have so that we can be prepared to grow and grow and grow throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity with him. These are the individuals that are fit for the strong meat of the Word of God. My friends, the sincere milk of the Word of God is to get us out, to convert us out of that carnal state of being double-minded. Because as long as we remain in that carnal state, we will never be fully subject to the mind of God. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 7, for the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. As I've spoken to you concerning this issue before, I will tell you once again in the very same language. The carnal mind does not have a problem. The carnal mind is the problem. The Bible says the carnal mind is enmity against God. It doesn't have a problem. It is the problem. And that problem needs to be done away with. The sincere milk of the word of God is there to destroy it. If you want to see the carnal nature of man in its purest form, all you have to do is look inside of a baby's crib. Now, when I say things like that, I, I realize it disturbs some people, but it's the truth. If you want to see the carnal nature of man in its purest form, I mean undiluted, just look inside of a baby's crib, there it is. You say, why would you say that about a nice little baby? My friends, <laughs> when it's about, have you ever seen a newborn baby in the crib? Maybe one, two, three in the morning and the baby wakes up. Does the baby ever wake up in the crib at one in the morning, two in the morning and sit up and say, huh, it's two in the morning. I know mommy's tired for, from working hard today, and daddy just got home not too long ago. Eh, I'm hungry, but I'll just wait a couple hours. Wait until dad wakes up. I'll just play with my toes until then. <laughs> Have you ever seen a newborn baby? No, it doesn't work like that. What does the baby do? That baby cries. If the baby's hungry, it will cry. If the baby's wet, it will cry. If the baby just wants to be picked up, it will cry. All the baby thinks about is its own selfish interests. Doesn't think about mommy and daddy. My friends, but you know during the nursing process when the mother holds the child close to the womb in which she's giving that child that milk, that's actually one of the most important times in which the mother is to educate that child to learn to be subject to her will. We're told 
that one of the first principles that we must teach our children is to learn to be obedient to the will of their parents. And that is the function of the sincere milk of the Word of God. It is to educate us that in all things we must subject ourselves to the will of God. And when we come to that position where we're willing to subject our thinking and our desires to the will of God, under all circumstances, then we are in a position where God can teach us more of the sublime truths that he desires to reveal to our understanding. But until then, we need the milk. And does God want us to ever forever drink milk? Of course not. But until we get to that point, we need the milk. Now I'm going to ask a question which one of the parents biologically are responsible for giving milk to the baby? The mother or the father? Obviously, the mother. In the Bible, a woman can be a symbol of the church. That means it is the church's responsibility to teach its members, its new converts, the very basic instructions contained within the Word of God so that they can mature to be like their elder brother, Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, in many of our churches in the land today, we are failing to do this very, very, very basic work. So what? Does this mean that you come to church week after week and complain and say, oh, my pastor is not teaching anything. Not getting anything in church. <laughs> oh, all he's doing is throwing milk. All he's doing is showing us pictures of food from the pulpit. Not even real food, just pictures of food. What do you say? So you give up, you throw your hands in the air, and that's it? And so you blame, you blame the inefficiency of your church to teach the word of God to you as the reason as to why you're not growing in your walk with God. My friends, no, it doesn't work like that. You see, even if the church fails, God says he won't fail you. Because the Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah chapter 49, Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 15, the scripture says, can the mother forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, but God says, yet will I never forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of mine hands. Jesus died so that we can live. And where men fail, God will always succeed. Go to Jesus. So if you feel as though you're not getting fed as you so desire to when you come to church, maybe it's because you live the whole week fasting. Maybe you need to spend more time at the feet of Jesus yourself. Then when you come to church, you might have something to bring to the spiritual potluck. Might have some truth to share with others that can refresh their souls. But nonetheless, God does not want us forever to remain on milk. It's very clear. Because the Bible declared back in Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 9, Whom shall he teach knowledge and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. Before I proceed further, I need to make one point clear. When you come to that point of maturity in which you are weaned from the milk, drawn from the breast, so to say, that means that you're now in a position where you can begin to assist your mother to carry out the work that she has to accomplish. In other words, in the spiritual reality of this, when we begin to mature in Jesus Christ as we ought, we will no longer be a burden on the church. We will now begin to work under the influence of the Spirit of God to assist the church in accomplishing the work that God put the church in this world to accomplish, and that is to preach the everlasting gospel to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people that men might be prepared for the second coming of Jesus Christ because he's coming. It's time for us to grow up. Get off the milk, 
God wants to teach us knowledge. He wants us to understand doctrine. Why does he want us to understand doctrine? Go with me in your book, Bibles, to 2 Timothy chapter 3, looking at verse 16. In uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, looking at the 16th verse, the Bible says this. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Doctrine is one of the components that God wants within our lives to groom us into perfection. And he says he wants us to understand doctrine. That means he wants to groom us into this state of perfection. And when the Bible speaks of us being groomed, developed into this state of perfection, it's actually saying that God wants to develop us to grow up to be like the one who I've spoken of so much, our elder brother, Jesus. The Bible makes it clear. Go with me in your Bibles again. We're going to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, Ephesians chapter 4, looking at verse 13, the Bible says, Till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. When we develop into a perfect man, it means that Christ is abiding within us and his character is now being revealed through us. We want to be like Jesus. You know, the same process of development that each one of us have to pass through as human beings, when the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, I'm talking about Jesus Christ, He Himself passed through the very same developmental stages that we ourselves have to pass through as well. Look at this with me in your Bibles. I'm going to the book of Luke. I want you to see what the Bible says concerning Jesus Christ in his formative years. I'm looking at Luke chapter 2. In Luke, the second chapter, I want to look right now at verse 40. It says this, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Wouldn't you like that to be said of yourself now as an adult as a mature individual, wouldn't you like it to be said of you that you're strong in the Spirit? The grace of God is upon you. That's how Jesus developed as a child. Whenever you see a child developing well, well, I have to speak about my wife. Whenever my wife, because she was always concerned about, you know, if, if our daughter, because we only have one child, so always, she was always concerned about whether or not our daughter was developing exactly the way that she should develop as she's growing, the way she needs to grow. And so anytime she saw a child that looks like, looked like it was growing healthy, she would ask the mother a particular question. And there was one church that I was uh, doing an evangelistic series at, <laughs> and I remember th uh, this woman had a, a, a baby, and, and it was a healthy baby boy. And my, and my wife looked into this uh, a carriage that uh, the woman had her baby boy in. And my wife said, wow, how old is he? And she said, oh, he's two years old. This baby was the same size as I am. It's massive. And my wife looked and said, what do you feed him? You know, when you see a child developing really well, strong and tall in stature, you're wondering, what do you feed that baby? When you look at Jesus and you see how he was developing, you should ask the same question. What was Jesus eating? What was his diet like? Do you know the Bible actually tells us the diet of Jesus Christ? It literally does that. Go with me. We're going in the Bible to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7, and I'm going to begin at verse 14. Isaiah chapter 7, looking at verse 14, the Bible says this. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he might know to refuse the evil and choose the good. There it is. Jesus ate butter and honey. Now those of you 
that know that I believe in eating a plant-based diet, you might be stirring in your seat. Butter and honey. Now, my friends, listen. The Bible says butter and honey did he eat that he might know to refuse the evil and choose the good. This butter and honey that the Bible is speaking of here, it's not literal. It had something to do with his spirituality. Now, this is not by any way to reject the reality that there is a real mind-body connection. But the butter and honey that Jesus was consuming was wholly of a spiritual nature that's being spoken of here in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 15. So what was it? We should know what it is because if we want to grow the same way that he did, we need to eat what he did. So let's talk about this diet of butter and honey. Let's talk about the honey first. What was the honey that Jesus was consuming on a daily basis? If you go with me to the book of Revelation chapter 10, Revelation the 10th chapter, Revelation chapter 10, this is just one reference that I'm giving you on this particular subject matter. There are several others. But in Revelation chapter 10, uh, beginning at verse 10, and just to give a little bit of backdrop of what happened, what's happening in Revelation chapter 10, John the Revelator, he sees this mighty angel clothed with a cloud, rainbow upon his head, faces like the sun, feet like pillars of fire. In his hand, there's a little book open. Now, in Revelation chapter 10 and verse 10, it says this, And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey, and as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples, and nations, and tongues, and kings. My friends, honey is Bible prophecy. Bible prophecy is the honey of the Word of God. Matter of fact, if you look in the book of Ezekiel, you'll see in the book of Ezekiel, I believe it's chapter 3, Ezekiel chapter 3, you'll see here, watch this. Moreover, I'm starting at verse 1. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, Eat that thou findest. Eat this roll and go and speak unto the house of Israel. Now, when Ezekiel was speaking, he was prophesying under the influence of the Spirit of God. Watch this. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that roll. And he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then did I eat it, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. Prophecy is the honey of the Word of God. Did Jesus eat the prophetic truths contained within the Word of God? Was Jesus well-versed in the prophecies? Well, all you have to do is look at passages, passages in the Bible like Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15. When Jesus was speaking with the disciples, he said to them, And when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Now, how could Jesus tell them about an abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet if he was not himself familiar with the writings of Daniel the prophet? Jesus knew the prophecies of the word of God. Matter of fact, when he was on the road to Emmaus, seeking to encourage the hearts of his discouraged disciples, he started at Moses and all of the prophets to reveal to them the truths in the word of God concerning himself. He knew the prophecies. He ate the honey. The prophecies in the word of God, they are the honey. And it's true. I remember when I began to learn Bible prophecy for the first time, I was excited. It's exciting. When you start learning that God speaks of the rise and fall of kingdoms from antiquity all up until contemporary times, God exposes earthly powers for what they truly are. I mean, all of these wonderful things. It is an exciting thing to know that God has left within our possession truth that can guide us through this world of darkness into eternity. It's exciting. Bible prophecy is the honey of the Word of God. <laughs> but what about the butter? What is the butter? Well, first question we need to ask is, how do you get butter? I remember asking this question someplace before, and somebody says, well, you get butter from cows. I have never seen a cow push out butter yet. Where, where do you get 
butter from? How do you get butter? Okay. Go with me in your Bibles again. We're going to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs. The book of Proverbs. I'm looking at Proverbs chapter 30, and I'm looking at verse 33. The Bible says, Surely the churning of milk bringeth forth butter. Butter comes as the result of a process. You have to churn milk. And for those of you that are old enough to have had the experience of churning milk, you know that that is an experience. You might have had a grandmother or a grandfather or even a mother or father that took you out back one day to go churn some milk with them so that you could make some butter. And you asked to get a turn at churning that milk, and you probably churned that milk for all about one minute, and you were dead tired because it's a process. The word churning means to agitate. To get that cream to rise to the top where that liquidy substance will begin to coagulate and firm. My friends, that milk has to be agitated. But what do we learn is the spiritual milk. We learn the spiritual milk is the sincere word of God. So then, how do you agitate or how do you churn the sincere word of God? The Bible tells us again in the book of Isaiah, chapter 28 and verse 10, the Bible says, For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here little and there little. When you begin to study the Bible and you go from the book of Genesis and you see one passage that presents truth to you, and then you go over to the book of James, and you see another scripture in the book of James that begins to elaborate and expound upon the principle that was brought to your understanding in the book of Genesis, and then you go over to the book of Luke, and then it gives you further information. What is happening right now is you're going precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here little, there little. You're agitating the sincere milk of the Word of God, and you're beginning to produce butter. That's all we've been doing for the last few minutes. How does it taste? It's butter. That's how you go from the sincere milk to the strong meat. But there's something else that I didn't tell you about this agitation process, which is critical and inseparable with the experience of the agitating of the Word of God. You see, that word agitate, it also means to clean or to wash. And you might say, really? Agitate means to clean or to wash? Of course it does. When you put clothes in a washing machine, what does the washing machine do to the clothes to make them clean? It agitates them. Why? It agitates the clothes to release whatever, whatever filth is ingrained within that garment. You see, the Word of God was given by the inspiration of the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God, the Comforter, His work is to convict us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So when we prayerfully begin to study the Word of God, going from chapter to chapter, verse to verse, and we are asking God to teach us, to instruct us, to transform us, the Holy Spirit will begin to agitate us and show us our sin, reveal to us the righteousness of God, and point by point seek to lead us closer and closer to Jesus. That's why Jesus said in the, in the book of John chapter 15 and verse 3, now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. My friends, we have to eat the butter and the honey. And when we faithfully do this on a day-by-day -day basis, seeking to know the will of God more perfectly, not so that we can simply have some, some theory chronicled in the library of our minds, 
but that our lives might forever be transformed and be sanctified through the truth. Then we'll have the experience of Job. Look what Job says in the book of Job chapter 29 as we come to a close. In Job chapter 29, looking at verse 6, Job said, When I washed my steps with butter and the rock poured me out rivers of oil. Now, when have you ever seen somebody wash their steps with butter or a rock pour out rivers of oil? Obviously, there is a spiritual meaning behind this. My friends, Job is talking about an experience that comes as one seeks the knowledge of God with a heart that is desiring to be transformed. He said he washed his steps with butter. You step with your feet. In the Bible, a person's feet is directly connected with their way of life, the way of their existence. That's why we say we're on this Christian walk, meaning that we're living this Christian lifestyle. Job said he washed his steps with butter. Job didn't have the Bible like we have it, but Job had communion with God every day. And as he communed with God, God spoke with him. And God revealed truth to him. And Job was like that man spoken of in Psalm chapter 1 that meditated upon the word of God day and night. And he kept those truths in his mind and he thought about them. It was like he was masticating the word of God. He was thinking about them, considering them, seeing how they're to apply in his life. And he sought by faith to apply those truths in his life. And can you imagine day by day throughout the week as Job was communing with God, he might get to Thursday, and as he was communing with God, he would say, wow, what God just shared with me this morning as I was talking with him. It reminds me of something that God told me on Tuesday when I was talking with him. And then as he put Tuesday and Thursday together in his mind, the truth began to become brighter and more beautiful. And it was having an impact on his life. Job's life was being cleansed. He was becoming more and more like his creator. His steps were being washed with butter. And as he was approaching towards God in this fashion, the same way that each and every one of us can. The Bible says the rock poured him out rivers of oil. The rock is none other than Jesus. In the Bible, oil is a symbol of the Spirit of God. My friends, when we study the Word of God, seeking to know the will of God, allowing Him to cleanse us of our hereditary and cultivated tendencies towards sin, giving us victory over vices that have been long holding us in slavery. My friends, when we cooperate with God in this process, He says, I'll pour out my Spirit unto you. Don't you want the fullness of his spirit? We are living in the time in which God wants to pour out not simply the former rain, but the latter rain, the full outpouring of his spirit. And through the reception of the full outpouring of the spirit of God, men and women will go throughout this world to give what is called the loud cry found within Revelation chapter 18. They will be the individuals that the Lord will utilize to lighten this world with his glory. But before they can be in a position to do that, they must wash their steps with butter. So the rock can pour them out rivers of oil. So let me ask you a question. What's your diet like? What are you eating? What are you having for breakfast, lunch, dinner? It's time to eat the butter and the honey. God wants us to grow to be like Jesus. And so my appeal to you is eat, eat, and live. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much that you've given us all that we need for our salvation. There is nothing that you have not made readily at our disposal so that we can be new creatures in Jesus Christ.
Now help us, Lord, to make that spiritual lifestyle change. Help us, God, to seek after that new experience. Feed us with the butter and the honey so that we might grow to be like Jesus. Thank you for hearing this prayer. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If this episode impacted you, please share it with others. Amazing Discoveries is a donor-supported ministry. To help us keep producing content like this, visit AmazingDiscoveries.org. And, as always, you can find the visual presentation of this episode on ADTV.watch.